you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to get them out and turn to uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 5 in just a few moments. But uh, I told you the, the, the opening video this morning was kind of a prelude to uh, what I wanted to share with you this morning. And so we are talking about evangelism. We are uh, talking about the spiritual discipline uh, of sharing our faith with others. And I know that there are always those who, um, you know, are a little overzealous, if you would, in how that they want to get the message across. As my little friend, Mr. Kingston said, Daddy, um, did, we did a good job teaching, uh, I think, uh, uh, you know. He recognized that the, the Bible was the sword of the Spirit, so can we just beat him in the head? Well, that's my job, son. Don't be taking my job, okay? All right. So sometimes we can get a little overzealous about how we share our faith. And I want to give you one good example of maybe not the greatest approach to sharing your faith. All right. So ladies, if you play my video. to hear me well. I want everybody to share their faith. That's the whole point of what I'm going to preach about in the next few moments. However, please don't do it quite that way. I mean, there is a, a better way of doing it. So I thought if I gave you one way not to, maybe I ought to go to Scripture and give you one way in which we ought to. So the Apostle Paul gives us some great insight onto how that we and why we should share our faith. So if you would, uh, stand with me as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. We're going to be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, it should be on the screen for you and uh, so that you can follow along there. Starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. 
For we command not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we are beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for uh, your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then all we're all dead. And that it, he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know ye no man after the flesh, yea, though he have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, that you be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Father, we come before you today and thank you for the power that is in the word of the Lord. We thank you, Father, for the, the scripture that is before us that tells us that where our salvation cometh from and why, Lord, it is so important to each and every one of us and why we should share it one with another. And Lord, as we look to you, Lord, today, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have liberty and freedom in this place to do a, a few things today. Lord, perhaps, Father, to prick the heart of them that may not have a relationship with you that they may know how important it is to, to, to formulate that relationship through Jesus Christ, our Savior. For those of us that have that relationship, may we recognize, O oh Lord, that uh, we have been called to a task uh, uh, of sharing that good news with others around us. And then perhaps, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would just put in mind someone that we know that doesn't know you, that we have contact with, that we could have opportunity to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have freedom and liberty in this place to take the preaching of the word and to stir our hearts and challenge us to move us, Father, closer to thee. And Lord, move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross that it not be my words and let the Holy Spirit bring forth the power of God upon this place today, we ask in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. As many of you know that we have been going through a series of five disciplines uh, that we should have in our spiritual life to help us to walk closer to, uh, to the Lord. The last one, of course, is um, this one we're working on, evangelism. And it goes without saying that it is everyone's responsibility of every Christian to share his or her faith with other people. And at the most elemental levels, evangelism is simply talking to people about Jesus, which is a view to lead towards seeing them accept him as their own personal Lord and Savior. It is the primary function of every disciple 
of Jesus Christ to make other disciples and to expand the kingdom of God here on earth. And yet, rapidly, it seems as though that it is becoming one of the more neglected spiritual disciplines because, of the, because each and every year we see that sharing our faith is getting more and more difficult in the world in which we're living in. Now, there are many reasons why we don't share our faith. There are many reasons why people have told me that I, I keep it to myself. And I want to just share very quickly three reasons that people don't share their faith. First of all, because we're told today it is politically incorrect to do so. It is politically incorrect to push our thoughts upon someone else, is what we're told. In a world that is increasingly becoming tolerant... Now listen to me, it's becoming tolerant of every religion other than that of Christianity. We have been bombarded and badgered into believing that telling other people that Jesus is the only way is somehow arrogant and disrespectful to other religious views. You see, Christianity is unquestionably exclusive. That is, there is no room for other gods or other pathways to God. If you're a Christian, you had to take Jesus at his word. What word am I talking about? John chapter 14, where Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. Boy, that's exclusive. Jesus said he is the only way in which we will enter into the presence of the Father. It means that Jesus is not only the way, but he is the only way. You can see how that simply doesn't sit well in the culture in which we live today, that the culture of political correctness. When we think about political correctness, we think that we are supposed to line up to the thoughts of this world, but yet, as Christians, we are to put away the thoughts of this world and we're to align ourselves with the thoughts of this book. This book is very clear in what it says. It is a very exclusive statement. I said this last week and I'll say it again this week, even though it is the most exclusive statement that is made throughout Scripture, Jesus himself is the most inclusive person in the world. For he said, whosoever, anyone who does, all are welcome, but you must come through me. That's what Jesus said. Another reason we don't share our faith is because the philosophy of the day, which of course is postmodernism, but you might say, well, what is postmodernism? Postmodernism as a philosophy seems to be permeating everything that we hear, everything that we read, everything that we see these days. It is the underlying value system supporting that of what I talked about just a moment ago, political correctness. It says that there is absolute, no absolute truth. It, and if there were an absolute truth, we could not know it. Thus, postmodernism says to us, there is no one truth which is applicable at all places for all people of all times. You see, that's the definition of absolute truth. It is the same for all people, all places, for all times. This would, however, negate 
the universality of sin and the reality that there is one God over all of creation who offers eternal life to anyone who will trust in His Son, Jesus. You see, if they can get rid of absolute truth, they can get rid of the idea of sin. If they can get rid of the idea of sin, then there's nothing wrong in their life that they need forgiveness for. There's nothing wrong in their life that they need a Savior for. God says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have missed a mark. The claims of Jesus are then dismissed by the postmodernists as cultural and situational. Thus, they don't see them as being applicable to everyone. A third reason that people don't share their faith today is out of the fear of what they might lose. There's a fear today among many Christians of what they might lose. Christians fear today being ostracized by their lost friends. They don't want to seem as, as some kind of religious zealot or spiritual kook. So instead of, uh, of, of being bold with their faith, they cloak their faith. They hide it behind the, the, the uh, certain opportunities in certain places. They're not afraid to be a Christian when they're in church, but when they're in the world, they leave their Christianity at church. You see, the reality is that we end up becoming more like Peter who was at the fire the night that Jesus was on trial than the Peter who was preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost. You see, as Christians, we cannot deny Jesus when it is uncomfortable. We must be like Peter who was filled with the Holy Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost, preached the gospel no matter what other people thought. Too many of us want to only love Jesus when it's convenient. They're afraid that of what it will cost them to identify themselves as a Christian, so they become secret agents in God's service. My friends, God does not need any secret agents. He needs a mighty army, a bold followers who will speak their faith. So as we consider our text this morning, as we uh, talked about why we might not share our faith, why then should we share our faith? And that's what the Apostle Paul wants to speak to us about this morning. So as we consider our text this morning, we need to follow Paul's train of thought here in chapter 5. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a wonderful chapter. It's a powerful chapter. It's, a, it's a, uh, filled with, with a lot of wonderful spiritual truths here. But I want us to back up just for a moment to one verse uh, so that we can kind of get the idea of what our text is based upon. If you go back to chapter 5 and verse 10, we find that in verse 10, Paul says that uh, what he's about to share with us all hinges on the fact that every one of us is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and each one of us will be rewarded or repaid according to what we did or did not do, what we said or did not say, rather good or bad in this world one day. Now, it is important that uh, we understand this because as important uh, as this is, Paul speaks from the reality that one day there is going to be a day of reckoning. A day when not only will we be called into account of how we spent the substance of our life, but also how we dealt with it accordingly, how we either denied the Lord or we stood up for Him. 
The rest of what the Apostle Paul says in this chapter will hinge upon this one awareness that each and every one of us sitting here today, one day we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll have to give an account as to how and why we lived our life as a follower of Christ. Whether we were bold in our faith or whether we were timid and shy and kept it to ourselves. Whether we did good for the Lord or whether we did nothing for the Lord. I'm telling you, my friends, many of us think that when we stand before the Lord, Jesus is just going to say, it's all okay. No, he's not. He's going to say, give an account for what you did because I paid a price for your life. I paid my life for your life. What did you do for me while I gave you life? The reality is that we all have a responsibility to live for Jesus while we're here. Now, I don't want us to be offensive in sharing the gospel, but I want us to be aggressive in sharing the gospel. I want us to go out to a lost and dying world because, listen, if we don't tell them, who is going to tell them? They're lost. They need to understand what that means, that they're eternally separated from God, and only Jesus can change that. The same Jesus that saved you and me is the same Jesus that wants to save them. That's why we should share the gospel. Now, this passage of scripture is perhaps one of the richest passages of scripture throughout the entirety of the Bible when it comes to that of the gospel and our responsibility to share it. This morning, we're going to focus primarily on the parts of this text that deal with our responsibility to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Now, of course, there are several motivating reasons why we should share the gospel. However, remember, all of this is in light of the reality that we have to give an account to God for how we are living out our life, what we have done as a follower of Jesus, or what we have not done. So Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells to us what caused him to be aggressive and caused him to be uh, desiring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that were lost. And it is the same reason that you and I should have. So listen to why Paul shared the gospel and why you and I should share it as well. First of all, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we share Jesus with others because we live in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that, that God isn't just in heaven far out of our reach. But that Jesus came and he lived and he walked among the disciples and he, he lived with them day after day for three and a half years. And then when he knew that he was going to have to leave and he was going to leave them here alone, he said to them, fear not, in John chapter 14, fear not, for I'm getting ready to leave, but fear not. For I am going to give to you a comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit of God. And he's going to come and he's going to take up resonance with you so that you are not alone in this world. As followers of Jesus Christ, one of the great gifts that God gives to us is the fact that he gives us the Holy Spirit not to just dwell among the world, but to live within us so that he goes everywhere we go. And because we have the Holy Spirit of God, we are constantly living in the presence of God. So how would it change your life if you were to consciously realize that every word 
you speak, every deed you do, was something uh, that you're going to have to explain before the Lord. Something for which you are either going to be rewarded for or reprimanded for. How would that change the way you behave and how you act and how you speak? Where you go? The truth of the matter is, we don't have to wait to stand before Jesus in order to be held accountable. Since the Holy Spirit is the one who lives within us, He dwells within us, God is always with us. And everything that we do, uh, we need to be reminded that we're doing in the presence of God. And that is why the Holy Spirit convicts us when we do something that we shouldn't do, go someplace we shouldn't go, or say something that we shouldn't have said. Or, in many cases in my life, when I should have said something, but I didn't. I walk away convicted that I missed an opportunity to be a spokesman for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, walking in his life, reminds us of this vital truth. Paul was walking in fellowship with Christ to the degree that he was well aware. He was conscious of the presence of Jesus with him everywhere. And willfully uh, disobeying the Lord was not an option for him. As Paul was walking that way, we are too to walk that way. He was living with a, 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 a fear that he didn't want to embarrass, he didn't want to shame, he didn't want to ignore the Savior who paid such a price for him. The Bible tells us, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, we are made manifest unto God. That is to say that Paul's heart, that he knew that God knew his heart. God saw beyond the actions and he looked to the motives of the heart. Same is true of you and me today. Being that we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us, He knows exactly the reason why we do what we do or don't do what we don't do. Sharing our faith is not something we simply do because we must. It really should be something that we do because we know the truth about our eternity and we know the truth about their eternity. We know that where we're going to spend eternity because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ... And we know that someone that we love and that we know that we've met is not placed their faith in Christ. We know what the Bible says. Either we will be in the presence of the Lord for eternity or we will be in a place called hell for eternity separated from God's love. So think about it. The Apostle Paul reminds us that he did it because of the terror of the Lord, the, the fear of not loving the Lord the way that he needed to. It's something which will come from our hearts. We will want to share the good news of Jesus because we will want them to know the same Savior that knows us. The second thing that we need to see that the Apostle Paul reminds us of is that we share Jesus because we are controlled by the love of Christ. Let me just remind you that there is such a great love that God has 
for not only his children, but for the lost world. And I know it's real easy to say that God doesn't love the sinner, that God doesn't love um, the world, but listen to what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ constrains us. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then Romans chapter 5, verse 8 reminds us, the Apostle Paul says that God commended His love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't tell me that God didn't love the lost world. He wanted to redeem the world. He wants to redeem them and us. He doesn't just love those who have found the redemption. He loves those yet to find redemption. And he paid an ultimate price for their redemption. It was that kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross. God's love for uh, his supreme creation, which every human being is a part of. God's love for humanity, even though we were all in rebellion against Him, the same love is what kept Jesus on the cross. It is that same love that Paul said constrained or controlled Him, motivated Him, moved Him to, to share with others. The word constrained is an interesting word. It carries the idea of being pushed on every side or constraining. It's used in Luke chapter 8, verse 45. Many of you remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood who said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be healed. And in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of the, the throngs of people, she worked her way through the crowd only to touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? <laughs> Peter said, Master, <laughs> open your eyes, look around, look at all the people. They're constraining us. They're, they're, they're overwhelming us. They're thronging us. They're we, everybody's touching you. It's pushing that hard upon us that, that everybody is, is there. That word, constrained, means to press, to press forth. This woman pressed forth the crowd so that she might touch the love of Christ. If you and I possess the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus has given us a new life. Does not his love possess you as well? If Jesus lives within you and the love that he had for the lost and the, uh, the love that he had for that woman at, that, that, with the issue of blood, the, the love that he had for uh, those who rebelled against him, that same love should live in each and every one of us. Are you content to see them Folks living aimlessly and adrift away from the Lord as they drift into eternity separated from God in a place called hell? Or is there a love that is constraining you, compelling you, moving you to say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgo the, 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 the peer pressure. I'm going to forgo the, the fear. I'm going to forgo what the, the world says. And I'm going to tell them what Jesus can do for them. Will you love them enough to tell them that there is a better way?
tell you, my friends, Jesus is that better way. He is the only way. The third thing that we see that the Apostle Paul reminds us of is to why that he wants to share the gospel, needs to share the gospel, and we should as well. As we share Jesus because we are no longer living for ourselves. I can tell you, there was a day in my life that I lived just for Steve. It was all about me and what I wanted to do and what I could get out of life. Until I met a man by the name of Jesus who said my life wasn't worth a hill of beans but it was worth his life for my life. It was there that Jesus changed me from seeking my own way to seeking his way. And I hope that you all can say that very same thing. Whether you got saved as a child or as a teenager or as a, 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 an adult, it really doesn't matter. Jesus should be that kind of difference maker in our life. The love of Christ should compel us. It should cause us to want to share with others. But if we go on in verses 14 and 15 and look at what the Apostle Paul says, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that we died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You see, the Apostle Paul says, I've come to realize that he who died for everyone died for me so that I wouldn't live for me anymore, but that I could live for him forevermore. Can it get any plainer than that? He was talking about dying to ourselves and finding our new life in Christ. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to crucify our flesh daily, die to ourselves, pick up our cross and follow Jesus. But he also reminds us in Romans chapter 6 and verses 4 and 5, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. You know, that's exactly what we say when we are at the waters of baptism. And what we mean when we say buried with Christ baptism, raised to walk in newness of life with him. Means that we realize that we need to die to ourselves. And when we come back up, we are no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for him. We have died to ourselves so that Jesus might live through us. Paul's point here is that if Jesus who truly lives in us and through us if that fact is that he, we have died to ourselves and we live for him, then our lives should be spent serving him, not ourselves. So what does a life look like that's serving Jesus and not ourselves? It's no longer hiding out from 
others with our faith. It's about standing up and being bold and proclaiming the love of Jesus Christ to all who need to hear. It's how we're living for him and not for ourselves. We're truly living for Jesus and we can keep or we cannot keep from sharing the gospel. This is what he's talking about in verse 17 when he says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Simply put, the Apostle Paul reminds us here that uh, we have truly come to know him, the Lord, in our lives. He has come in our lives to give us his life to live before others. One of the true evidence of a person who is born again, who is living in a right relationship with God, is that they will share their faith with others. They will not be ashamed of the gospel which brought them out of darkness into his mind. They can't help it because all things have become new in them. They're no longer that old, wretched, sinful self. They've went from sinner to saint. And listen, you don't do that by yourself. Nobody turns over a new leaf and changes who they are, apart from what Jesus Christ does for us. He is the only one that can change the wretchedness of our sin into the righteousness of His Son. The old way of living merely for themselves is gone. And now we have been made new to live for Jesus. The fourth and final thing that Paul reminds us here in this text is that we share Jesus because God wants us to help others make peace with Him. Paul goes on to say in these verses, in verses 18 through 20, that there is another compelling reason why we as believers today need to be sharing Jesus Christ in our society today. Perhaps more than ever. Perhaps more than ever we are seeing in our world today a disconnect, a, a, a breaking apart of, of who we are in our culture. We're no longer Americans it seems as though that we're all broken up into segments of groups. The poor, the rich, the black, the white, the, the brown, the, the gray, the old, the young. Uh, I mean, think about what our society has done. It has given a label to every age group, to every demographic, to, to every people group. We have got a label so that we're no longer one. We're all a bunch of separates. And when we're all a bunch of separates, the problem with that is that we are disunified. And as disunified people, we're at odds with one another. And we're, we're angry with one another because we're told that they're getting a better deal than we are. Because they belong to this people group or that age group or that demographic or that color. We are living in a time when Satan is destroying the universal uh, thought of American. And we are no longer together, but we are separate entities. 
Listen, my friends, as a Christian, we have an opportunity to reconcile a broken world. Now listen, it's not about politics. It's not about being on the right side of politics. It's about being on the right side of Jesus. It's about being right with Him. Listen to the words that the Apostle Paul reminds us of our role in society. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses uh, unto them, and has committed unto us the word or the task of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors, that's our role, for Christ. As though the world, or though through God, did beseech us by us. We pray you in Christ's stead that you be reconciled to God. That's what reconciliation is. It's to make peace where there is hostility. Let me just first remind you that every lost person is at hostility with God himself. We go back to the, the, the Gospel of John and we're reminded in chapter 1 that it says the light came into the world but the world knew him not because they loved darkness better than light. Listen, my friends, our sin makes us an enemy with God because we don't want him exposing our sin. We don't want him telling us we can't do our thing. And therefore it puts us at odds with God. It is our job to help people to see you don't have to be at odds with God. God already reconciled your differences before the Father. He's already made the Father okay by giving His own life. To make peace with those who are at hostility. You see, that's what a marriage counselor does. I'm not asking you if you've been to one. But here's what they do. They seek to reconcile the relationship between a husband and wife. What happens is somewhere after the couple said, I do, somewhere after the honeymoon glow faded, somewhere after all of the joy turned to mundane, something went wrong. Someone said something, did something, or failed to say something, or failed to do something that made the other feel to the point that they were not participating. And so a barrier began to grow in their relationship. So they seen something breaking. So they go to a counselor, a neutral third party, and, and they share their problems in hopes that the counselor can help them to find peace and to reconcile their differences so their marriage can go back to thriving. Now, that same analogy can be used in the life of every human being in the fact that as an ambassador for Christ, that's you and I as Christians, we are the counselor 
It is our job to counsel those who are at odds with God to help to sink, seek, to bring them peace between them and God. And the relationship between God and humanity, it was humanity which sinned against God. And it was God who came to die for the sins of humanity. And so, as we look at what the scripture tells us, all we like sheep have gone astray. There is none that does good, no, not one of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God is being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, sent Jesus to die for us. To pay that penalty that God said was due for your sin and my sin. And the Bible says here in verse 21, as Paul closes this idea of why he needs to share the gospel and why we need to, for he, Jesus, has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that he, we might be made the righteousness of God. God poured out all of his punishment, all of the wrath for your sins and mine on Jesus. And it was his love that kept him on the cross, his love for us in spite of our sin. He died in our place on our behalf. Jesus took the punishment of our sins as though they were his own so that we could ask to be forgiven so that we could put our faith and trust in him so that we could be made right with the father that's what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14 means when he said for he himself is our peace because of that which Jesus did because of his death burial and resurrection peace or reconciliation is possible between God and man. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can do what I am about to do but me. No one can pay that price for your sin but me. That's why Jesus did it. So our job as ambassadors as counselors to those that are broken and those that are, that are lost, those that are at, at enmity or war with God. Our job, our responsibility, is simply to share the good news with them that you don't have to be at odds with God anymore, that Jesus paid the price to appease God's anger towards you so that you don't have to be upset with God, but that you can receive His forgiveness that you can receive his reconciliation, that you can receive his favor, that his blood can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He has given us a job. He's given us a message and a promise to empower us to do so. The question simply remains, why don't we want to do it? Don't we do it? There's compelling arguments as to why we should. Why are we not? Sharing our faith is not an option, Christian. 
Sharing our faith is not just for the paid professionals. It's not just for the Sunday school teachers. It's not just for this group or that group. The, the, the reality is that Jesus says to us, Everyone who puts on the badge of honor of calling themselves a follower of Christ has the responsibility of being an ambassador, a counselor for the cause of Christ. You may say, well, I don't know a bunch of verses. I can't quote scripture. I can't remember this. I can't do that. And I don't care. Because God doesn't care. He can take even the most forgetful and use them to share the love of Jesus Christ. He can take the most shy and give you boldness enough to tell others why Jesus loves you. It's not about our deficiencies. It's about His efficiency. The fact that we have the Spirit of God Himself living in all of us, we have all of the power that we need to do what we have been called to do. I tell new believers all the time, I tell them kids when we lead them to the Lord and they're coming forth to, to, to share their faith, before they ever get up here, I have challenged them to do this. I've challenged them to go tell their grandma, their grandpa, their, their sister, their brother, their mother, their father, their, their everybody. The more that they tell, I tell them, the more that you tell people that Jesus saved you, the easier it is when you stand up here to tell all of these good folks. And it's the same with you and I. The more that we tell people about Jesus and His salvation and what He has done for us, the easier it is for us to tell the next person that Jesus puts in. So will you take a challenge? Will you talk to someone this week about Jesus? Will you tell somebody this week that there's an eternity waiting for them? And now listen, I don't care how you do it. You can use a track. They're right out there, right by the elevator. There's a, and, and it's in big bold letters to tell you so you don't miss what the rack's there for. It says tracks right on it. Pick up one of those tracks. If you need to start that way and say, listen, let me just share with you this little book. It'll tell you what I've come to know about Jesus. Hey, you've done it. You, you've shared your faith. with someone. You see, here's the thing. If each and every one of us in this church, not just in this room, but each and every one of us in this church, whether they're listening at home or out in the car or downstairs or wherever it is, if every one of us listening to me this morning will just win one person out of their lostness into Jesus Christ in the next 12 months, we will have doubled the size of our congregation. We will have doubled the size of our group of those who are going to know Jesus. Now, don't just share your faith with them. Share it with the idea that you're going to share it over and over again with them until they come to the place where you can present the option for them to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And then when they do, your role is to continue to disciple them so that they will tell others. And listen, let me remind you that the, the greatest evangelist in all the world 
are new believers. They don't know nothing. <laughs> they, they just know that God took their sinful life and, and, and made it new, and, and they can't wait to tell somebody else. You see, we will not only double the kingdom of God here, we could triple it. What we need is to share our faith so that there's new people coming to know Jesus who will be excited about sharing their faith so that more and more people will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a challenge that I think every one of us needs to take. It's a challenge that each and every one of us need to remember that one day we will stand before the Lord and give an account for what we did or we did not do. I'm going to put you on the spot. I see you got the hymn book out. Please come. I'm going to pray with you as Ron comes up. I want us just to lead a song. I want you to stand to your feet, if you would, as I pray for you this morning. If there's somebody here that cannot say with ultimate confidence that they know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's my prayer that you will um, hear me when I say, please do not put off today what God is calling you to. For you are not promised another day, and you're pushing your um, limit. For those of you that are here today, I'm going to be praying for you that, like myself, that I would be open and sensitive to the Lord putting people into my life, that I would be willing to share the gospel with them, that I would be, you would be able to share with them how that they can pray to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Now let me just say to you, if you're sharing your faith with somebody and you're not quite sure how to get across the finish line, feel free to bring them to Josh and I. You bring them, uh, and we'll be glad to help you to do that, okay? Just so you know that, all right? Um, but it, it starts with you sharing your faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to challenge my heart, as well as the heart of everyone here today, that we need to be about your business. We need to be the ambassadors that you've called us to, reconciling people to the love of Jesus Christ. Father, there is a lost and dying world that is broken. Lord, they so desperately need Jesus. And we, the church, need to get out of ourselves and, and, and into the business of Jesus Christ, sharing the love of Christ wherever we are, at work or play or school or at, at the stores or wherever it is that, God, you put people into our path. So, Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask that you would put people into our path that we would have opportunity to share Jesus Christ with. Lord, as they're in our path, Lord, let us not have to confess, Lord, I missed an opportunity, but Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Lord, would you bring people to salvation? Lord, if there are people here today that do not know you, cannot without a 100% confidence say, I know that I know that I know that it is Jesus who has saved me out of my sin and I have asked him to be my Lord and my Savior and the Spirit of God lives within me. Lord, I pray that they would come forth and, and, and just pray. Lord, that they would come and let us just share the scripture with them and share the prayer with them, what it means to walk in the news. Oh, Father, hear me now as I pray.
Holy Spirit, have, have your way in and through this crowd. Would you just do your work, we pray in Jesus.